This is the Business Storytelling Show with Christoph Trapp. Name a top 20 storytelling podcast and a top 5% podcast globally. Christoph chats with thought leaders and experts to share tips and tricks that can help you tell your company's stories better to drive business results. Available wherever you listen to podcasts, live streamed on major social media channels, and part of the DB&A television network, available on most U.S. television sets and streaming on Roku and Amazon Fire. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go. Hey, business storytellers. How's everyone doing? Thanks for joining us. Another episode of the Business Storytelling Show. Really appreciate you guys tuning in. We want to talk about the velocity mindset today. So this is a book Ron Carr wrote. We want to talk about what's the velocity mindset? How do you do it? How do you get people to work together? And as content creators, I mean, we need all the help we can get. I mean, it's, you know, it's reality. So let's get Ron on the show here. Ron, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Really appreciate you making the time. Oh, it's my pleasure to be with you, Christoph. Pleasure to be here. Awesome. So tell us about the velocity mindset. What prompted it? What what prompted you to write the book? And the thing that made me come to this realization was age. And when I was done with the presidency of the National Speakers Association in 2014, I had a series of nine operations, mostly my back. And I was down for a couple of years recuperating. And when you're in that situation, you start reflecting on life, all the things you achieved, but also some of the things you didn't achieve that you wanted to. And when I started looking at those things, I realized, well, time's getting shorter. So if I want to do them, I better get on the stick. But when I looked at what prevented me from achieving them, it wasn't anything about external factors. It was mostly about the self-induced limitations I imposed, like my fears and stories. And this is something that affects all of us. So the book was dedicated to helping everybody get further in life and to get past those personal barriers that are preventing them. So yes, it's for leaders who are technically managers, but it's also for those who want to lead others and lead themselves to better results. And certainly, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, it's really hard to, to you know, to make a big impact if it's just yourself, right? So you do have to build a team. And I mean, I see it in marketing and content marketing all the time because there's no right answers. You know, everything changes all the time. Um, you know, is this working? Is that working? Uh, who has what specific skills? Um, how how do people best use your book? And, and what are some of the key takeaways? So the, this, the topic that you're talking about is very dear to my, my heart. And the concept is you can only go so far through your own efforts, but you can go a lot further through the efforts of others. So what are the key things that if you're trying to lead others and help you decrease the amount of time it takes to get to a result. Number one, we talked about in the book, you need to be purpose-oriented, not task-oriented. Um, Christoph, when I when you hear the word velocity, what's the first word that comes to your mind? How, how do you go faster? Right, speed. But speed itself is not velocity. And if that's all we think it is, that's what happens to us, then we get burnt out. We're going and we're going and we're going, we're doing all those tasks on a to-do list, and at the end of the day, like I was in that hospital, we start asking ourselves, did we really move forward and are we fulfilled by what we've done? The true definition of velocity is speed with direction. So that's purpose. So the first thing you need to do is what's the purpose? What's the end game? What am I trying to achieve through my efforts and through others' efforts? And when that's grounded, then you work your way backwards and start looking at the main points or things that you have to do to get to that result. Now, part of that obviously is picking the right people 
who complement and make up for the weaknesses you have. But most importantly, it's getting everybody rowing together in the same direction. And when leaders fail in doing that, they impose their own vision on other people and expect people to buy in. People only buy in when it, it, it's important to them, when it, they see it's going to help them. So the trick is, and we talk about this in, in the book in terms of hormones and neuroscience, how do you engage people? How do you engage people to the point where what you're saying is landing with impact? And more importantly, where they're now emotionally enrolled and they want to support you. And that's a big part of where people fall down in. So when you talk about, this is always an interesting question to me, when you talk about buy-in though, so you know, uh, you, you hire a team. Um, mm -hmm. Is it not enough that you know you're giving them a job that you know you hired them for specific for a specific thing how do those two work together i mean i've had plenty of people who, who say that to me well that's your job that's your job you know right, just, right, you right. know so no it's not enough that you just hire them okay there's two types of productivity and why do I i'm sorry there's two types of productivity in in business the first productivity is do whatever it takes at a minimum to keep your job mm-hmm the second type of productivity is do whatever it takes to excel and do the best you can possibly do. That's the ideal productivity you want from everybody. The difference is if people don't feel that they're getting something out of it, they're going to go towards the first definition of productivity. You want people dedicated to the second. And that's where you need buy-in, emotional buy-in. Yeah, interesting. So it's the bare minimum. And of course, the bare minimum of today, I'm not sure it's ever enough anymore, right? Because I mean, it's just it's too competitive out there. Um, so how do you go about getting this buy in? And, and so does buy in the term buy in? Does that assume somebody sets the strategy and you're supposed to buy into that strategy? Or are you buying into co creating something together? That's a great question. And, and, you know, in the 1980s, when I started in business, it was an autocratic society. So you had a lot of people telling people what to do and they didn't want to really hear anything else. That does not work today. All right. So you need to get buy in because people today will not come along and they're not personally vested into it. Now, when I say buy in, Christoph, it doesn't mean that you have to agree with everything. All right. Sometimes you have to agree not to uh, agree. But when you get into that situation, then what the leader must do is elevate the conversation to a higher cause that both people are emotionally attached to. And when you get to that spot and you get off the disagreement, then you start getting into creativity on how you can work around it and get to where both of you want to get to. Knowing that you would not get there by yourselves, you can only do it through the efforts of both of you. So that also means yep. the motivation of the other person. Yeah, you have to work together, and and uh, that's I think that's a common theme we hear more and more. Um, so, so at the end of the day, when how do you um, you know is it? Some people talk about culture. Some um, talk about skill set. Uh, what's the right mix? How does that help in moving forward? Well, it's both. But let me give you an example we put in the book. Um, so, and, and by the way, I know you're a story, master storyteller. So one of the things we did in the book was use stories because we know that's how people learn it. We create an emotional connection that way. 
So I was in a CEO's office of a, of a retainer client of mine, and one of the supervisors came in one day really upset. And I asked him, what's wrong? And he goes, guy is late in the job, and he's constantly on the cell phone. I said, what'd you do? I told him to get off the cell phone. What did he say? He talked about everybody else being on a cell phone. What did you do? <laughs> yelled at him and left. And I said, how well did that serve you? So I role played with him and he played that guy and I played him and I just gave him back the same answers he gave to the person. And I asked him now on an emotional level, would you want to participate with me in fixing this? He goes, heck no. And how do we change it so you want to participate? So I asked him, what's this guy's you know, career goals? He wants to become a master welder. I said, great. What do you need? Quality and timeliness. How's his quality? Great. Timeliness? He's 20 minutes late. So now you go and change the conversation. You elevate it. And you say, look, you want to be a master welder, right? He goes, yeah. I said, you know, you need two things, timeliness and quality. Your quality is phenomenal. Timeliness? You're 20 minutes behind this one job. What do you think we can do to help you get back on time so you, you don't get off track and you get to where you want to be? And all of a sudden, magically, that individual who was reticent about the cell phone all of a sudden starts co-creating with the individual things that could be done to speed the project up. That's what I mean by elevating it to something that's of emotional importance to the other individual as well as to you. Yeah, you have to think about what, what's important to them. So what's interesting about anything time-related, time, time Joe Polizzi was on the show yesterday to, the, to do whatever, right? And he says, well, then content marketing isn't necessarily for you. And I said, Joe, why do they only have six months? Why? It's, I, I can bet you it's totally arbitrary. Some board members said, we got to get all this done in six months, whether it's doable or not. You know what I'm saying? Or somebody just said, in a, if there's no board in the executive meeting, we got to do this in six months. But in reality, we have, we have more time than six months. I mean, what business doesn't have more time than six months? And if they don't, you know, maybe there's some other some other problems, quite frankly. Well, so it's 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 go ahead. Well, no, but at, at that point, you want to find out from those people why six months is so important. Yeah. And then you got to find out from the other people six months doable. And then together you come and you take the importance of the one side that's said and need it. And you take into account the limitations, the perceived limitations of the side that has to execute. And together, you might find a plan that both parties can live with. Yeah. So you can, you know, sometimes even if you're the leader or the manager, I mean, you got to think about what's truly important, right? Is timeliness important? Sometimes, it, sometimes it's not. Um, but there is a lot of task, especially for content creators. Ron, how long does it take you to write a book? <sighs> So <clears throat> when I write my books, and this is my fifth one, the writing yep. is actually not that long. Um, so I'll, I'll give you the example of how I did this book, okay? When COVID mm -hmm. started and 70% of my business got wiped out from speaking because there's no meetings, I decided right. this is the time now to write the book and to uh, get it done. So when it comes out, hopefully COVID will be on the, up, on the downturn, which it is now. So uh, I had my publisher. Uh, I had some resistance from my publisher because he knew what I was trying to do, write a, <clears throat> write a leadership book with a little bit of uh, self-help. And he goes, it's never been done. I go, trust me, it'll work. 
And then I hired a writer to work with me. Why did I hire a writer in this case? I've always written. I, I write really well. But in this book, one of the things I tell, I tell leaders is that vulnerability sells. And I was very vulnerable in this book. But I had to make sure it was being done for the audience's reasons, not for mine. So I had a writer who kept me honest, okay? Now, when we started the process last March, I know, and I walked the talk that I have in the book, we start with the end in sight. What is the message we want people walking away with? And what are the key waypoints mean the chapters? And I said to, the, to my editor and I said to my uh, publisher, this is gonna take a long time because once we get this done, the writing is so fast, you just fill in the blanks. And sure enough, it took to the end of July to get that done. And they were getting antsy, but I was right because the manuscript was done by the end of September. So, so if you really focus first on what you want to accomplish and what are the key points for any content, that will make producing the content that much easier for anybody. Yeah, it's very true. You know, the other thing too, when it comes to content creation, it's how long does it take? Well, it takes however long I'll get my book. I made the decision in January and I published it in March. Now, a lot of the stuff was already written, you know, because, but I still had to kind of assemble it in the right manner. But again, you know, I, I knew I had to hustle a little bit and I got it done. So it's to an extent, sometimes it comes down to how much time do you actually assign to it. Um, how about barriers? I know you talk about barriers a lot in your book. How do you, uh, how do you work around those? And I know there's, I mean, Every time I speak at a conference, of course, right now I don't leave this chair and I haven't left this office in, you know, whatever, 15 months, I would say approval hell. And the whole room goes, oh, my God, yes. So we do have plenty of um, barriers. How Talk about that if you can. So what I talk about in the book are the stories we tell ourselves and um, any of the fears that prevent us from acting. So there's lots of things that we talk about. So, for example... We talk about in the book, I remember in, um, in the 1980s when New York was really crime-ridden and really bad and, 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 and dirty, and I was driving with somebody down, you know, uh, close to like 100th Street, you know, just to the lower end of Harlem. And um, I said, wow, you know, this neighborhood has got to start turning around because it's creeping up, you know, from the 90s. And I said, take this building, for example, it would be probably a great thing to invest in if you wanted to, but... It'll take a while to see the return on the investment. I can tell you that many other people may have thought the same thing, but what happens when you get that big idea? It sounds too big and you keep on going. But there's that one person who doesn't see that as a barrier because they know as leaders that you don't have to have the answers up front. What they do is they start visualizing the outcome that they want. They let it sit in their conscious mind. And as it sits there, it starts triggering new questions that lead to new answers. And eventually you get an idea of what that picture looks like. You go to an architect, they take that information they put into a picture. Now you got something tangible, take it to a subcontractors. They tell you how much it's going to cost and how to do it. And before you know, it comes to life. So one of it is the fears that we don't have the answers. We need to get comfortable not having the answers because as leaders, we know if we don't, if we have all the answers up front, we're not shooting big enough. But if we don't have the answers up front, that's okay. We're dedicated to finding them. And that's what true leaders do. Another barrier is the stories that we tell ourselves. You know, everything that happens to us in life, we create a story, a perception as to what we think it meant to us. And the stories, if they motivate us and move us forward, that's great. 
But many times the stories limit us. So stories like if someone says something to me and then all of a sudden I'm thinking that they, that they criticized me, they ridiculed me, that's my story. When half the time they might be even trying to compliment me, but I'm not looking at it that way. So would you have to look at it? How well are your stories serving you? Are they the correct stories? And the magical thing here is, is that you write all your stories. So one's not serving you. You do have the power to change it. There you go. So many technology issues today. I don't know what's going on. Maybe this is just not a good time of the day for um, for the internet. I, I know. So, but how do you how do you recommend that people start writing their own stories? I mean, I I, I know what you mean, but I think it's easier said than done, right? I mean, even for myself, I, I'm thinking this is my story. This is what I'm going to do, and then you kind of get into the day by day and. Um, get sucked in. <laughs> so when I, when I wrote the Velocity Mindset, for example, I had a story going on in my head. Story was, oh, this is not going to work. Not as a book. The book is going to work. The problem is selling it. How can you sell a book in a pandemic? You have no speeches. Usually we launch a book with speeches and we, mm -hmm. you know, the books needs to get legs. There's thousands of books going out to the audiences and then they refer it. What do I do now? And when I recognized that that was just a story, and I got rid of the emotional event that was holding me back. I started, I, then I had the clarity to think about it. I said, okay, why is speech so important? It's an audience. And for me, I know that when people hear me speak, that's when they buy books, that's when they call me up because I have a way of engaging them. All right, so if you don't have a, a speech, how else can you have an audience? Aha, what mm -hmm. we're doing right now. And so my strategy was to get on as many podcasts as possible, three, five a day, and keep doing it for the next six months and that's my audience as well as getting people to review the book because i think at a tipping point the key for any book is how many books have to get out there before it gets legs on its own to grow and that's the thing that stays in my mind but the story that was originally holding me back was this won't work because i don't have speeches and i was able to rewrite that story for myself yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned uh, live streams, podcasts. I mean, certainly I've made the switch to that in the last two years. I started my podcast, and then I started a live stream, and then I wrote a book on how to actually do a live stream. Um, you know, interesting. And then, of course, and podcast. How many? How many time, How many podcasts do you go on in a week? You, did you say a number earlier? Yeah, I'm doing roughly about uh, eight to ten. Eight to ten, and um, how, how do you pick who who you who you're talking to and who you're not talking to, or you talk to everybody? So number one, there is no bad podcast because if one person hears it and they buy a book, that was a success, okay? But obviously, you only have so much time, so mm -hmm. I have to be married to my purpose, the outcome. We have an idea of what, what success looks like for us with the book. So we still look for influencers. We still look for podcasts that are pretty powerful in a certain industry where the voice of that podcaster is heard. So we mix it up between, you know, the ones we really want to be on as well as being on as many as possible. Yeah, that, that's my, my theory in general, too. But sometimes, uh, you know, you, as you said, you only have so much time before you run out of time. Um, you can't talk to everybody. 
Right, but but this but the thing about podcasts also it's like writing an article in a magazine. Everybody says, "Oh, how many people are going to watch it?" Most of the time, you do these interviews or magazine articles. It's not so much who's reading it or watching at that time; it's how well you repurpose it afterwards to get it out. It's true, and that's your and that's your responsibility. You can't delegate that to the person who's interviewing you. Yeah. Well, plus you can say I think it was Mark Schaefer who said I. I've been on 120 podcasts. I mean, you can certainly use that number in your marketing somewhere, somehow. That'd be my guess. Absolutely. So when it comes to um, starting as a leader, though, I know I know everybody's looking for their competitive advantage. I mean, I, I know everybody is, right? How do we do better? I mean, that's why I'm doing more live streams because live streams have much more reach than podcasts when you first start, especially right and then you you build the podcast and you build this then you go on uh D, the db television network where we're now um distributing the show so everybody knows they should, and how do they uh how do they do that what's the tipping point for the person being interviewed or the person trying to start their own live stream no, for the for the manager. I sorry, I switched back to your book. Um, for the manager, you know, if you're if you want to have this um, velocity mindset and really want to get started, I mean, I think everybody agrees that you know they need to find competitive advantages. They need to build better teams. Um, they you know they need to figure out how to get buy-in. But how do you know if you're in the day-to-day -day as a leader or manager? that today's the day that you got to do something. Like, how do you know? Well, how about we just say every day is the day you have to do something? Because mm -hmm. the world is constantly changing. And if you're not constantly reassessing where you're going, does it make sense? And are you taking the right steps to get there? Eventually, you're going to stop being relevant. So instead of saying that's a behavior once in a while, if you live with that mindset every day, you will be relevant. Yeah, I don't disagree with you at all. I think there are some people that would, it, it's hard to get going because it didn't used to be that way, right? I mean, when I started in journalism, we did the same thing all the time. Do you, I mean, do you know what I mean? Yeah, but but it, it, but what people have to understand, you know, everybody wants the magic pill, right? Give me the one yeah. thing that I can do that's going to change my world. There is no magic pill out there. I've been looking for it for 64 years and I haven't found it, have you? Uh, but it's no, a way I've of been being. looking for 42. <laughs> it's a way of being. That's the key. And it, it, it's like going on a diet, okay? Well-known statistics. If you lose a lot of weight and most 90% of them gain back the weight. Why? Because they're trying to look at an activity and they do it, but then they go back to the old behaviors. If you really want to live at a lower rate, it's a way of being. It's a way of living. So it's more to finding out, you know, what's the lifestyle that you can live with that's going to be good for you and make you happy so that you're more motivated to do what you have to do to follow it. Yeah, absolutely. So talk about, I know you talk about um, positioning products a little bit. How, And, of course, that is important. And, and I, sometimes I joke and I said, you know, a good content marketer, everybody knows us, nobody knows what we're doing. And that is part of content marketing to an extent that you are in front of people and you're always top of mind. But at some point, nobody's going to hire you. Nobody's going to buy from you if they don't know what you're selling. Right. right. So how does all this help? So don't forget, I had a pretty extensive sales uh, career and management career. 
so I knew how to sell. But um, when I started my business about 30 years ago, a friend of mine said, you need to meet this guy in Chicago. He owns a headhunting firm. I said, why do I need to go talk to a headhunter? Because he does what you do. You have an intangible service, and he's a master at making it tangible. And I went to see him, and he was gracious enough, put me in his office, and we sat for two hours. And that's his message to me. He goes, Ron, what we're doing is intangible. If, if through your conversations, they can't feel it, touch it, and emotionally get you know aligned with it, you will never sell it. So I kept saying, how do I make the intangible become tangible? How do you do that? Stop leading with the how of what you do, because that means nothing to anybody. Lead with the outcomes that someone wants to achieve. So when we were working with the financial services company, they wanted to go from five calls to three calls to get a new investor online. And I went out there and I visited with them as they were making visits to their investors. And all they were doing is starting with the house, stocks and bonds and all that. And people probably had another invest advisor, so they didn't get anywhere. So I asked the guy on the next call, I said, look, cut the chit chat down to 30 seconds from 12 minutes and ask the, the most important question. Ask him if you can ask the question and say, look, this is not about stocks and bonds. It's about your future. What I'd like to know is what are the three most important things you're trying to achieve financially for your future. And all of a sudden the eyes would roll up, the cortisol will start coming down, the oxytocin comes out, there's all things that we relate to in the book. And people started talking about the things that were important, college education, retirement, whatever. And now because you started getting them on that path, they start thinking that you can help them. And now anything that you bring in as to how you're gonna help them get there, the house, it's going to land with impact because it's all in context to what they're trying to achieve. That's mm -hmm. the critical step going from an intangible to a tangible. Finding out where someone's trying to go and then link in context how you can help them get there. Yeah, it's it's certainly very different from how sales, some salespeople used to sell many, many years ago, right? Here's the product. Here's the spec sheet. And, and I mean, I was actually... On a call not too long i'm not a salesperson don't i don't you know i, I guess everybody's a salesperson to my, an extent right my, but, my, first, um, my first sales job was selling copiers and you know what sales training was then two weeks learning how to demo a machine and follow the script and if your hand was at the wrong place in the machine at the wrong time they sent you out from the class today that doesn't get anybody's attention why because they already see about your stuff on the internet they already know about you so that's only the conversation you're having, you're not getting their attention. Yeah. Best way to get their attention, where they're going. I even have a copy of story in there. I'll give you an example. Um, when I was seduced by a company to join that company, Royal Business Machines, it was their first plain bond copier, meaning no more liquid toner. And it did 15 pristine copies a minute, but we didn't have the collator or anything else. And they said that will come in six months. It didn't come for two years. So I go into an office manager and say, hey, you know, I'm selling copiers. And they say, can you do everything the Xerox machine does on the third floor? And when I said no, they threw me out. So I had what I called them in a book, a board meeting. I paused and I said to myself, what are you really selling? You can't compete as a copy of the Xerox. So what are you really selling? And when I realized it was a communication vehicle, I changed the conversation. Mm -hmm. I asked them, would you agree that a copy is nothing more than a communication vehicle? And they said, yes. So what are your three biggest challenges with that? And they started talking about how it would take somebody sometimes two hours to get one copy made to get up to the third floor, wait behind all those big jobs. 
And I said, how much is that costing you? They said the equivalent of two full-time employees. I said, would you like that back? They asked me how. I said, put one of my machines on every floor and I'll solve that problem for you. And I started selling three at a time. That's what you have to do. You have to make it so emotionally compelling for somebody, but it's not about what you say. It's about what they're going through and how you can help them. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, the product needs to follow through. That's always a whole another challenge. But um, I'm, I'm checking a little bit at your comment about you, you had to you know, have your hand at the right spot on the copier machine. But that's how it used to be. Today, we have to listen. Today, we have to talk to people. And, you know, everybody kind of has their own mind of what they're trying to accomplish. Um, so when you um, what when did the book launch? When did it launch again? The book launched on May 11th. So pretty quick, pretty recently here. Uh, what what has been? I know you certainly have a fantastic. Uh, you have five stars rated on Amazon, so that's awesome to see. But what have people said um, since the book launch? So the the, big, the the biggest and consistent feedback I'm getting is they love the book for several reasons. One, it's not just for managers; it's anybody who's looking to lead themselves in life or anybody else. So it really applies to a lot of people in the world. They like the premise, what would the world look like if everybody acted as a leader and not as a victim of circumstance? What they also like, because what they when they pick the book, they're saying, oh God, here comes another leadership, you know, business book. How boring can it be? And they're surprised how gripped they are from the forward to the introduction, because they realize it's not going to be like that. Yes, we mm -hmm. give them the concepts, but it's around stories, it's around emotional, compelling ideas, and they that they can all relate to. And I've had some people say they can't even put the book down. That's always is people that want to lead themselves. And I, I love that. Maybe you can expand on that a little bit. But but I love that because people always sometimes people say to me, well, so and so, you know, is not giving me the opportunity to grow or whatever. And I know there's some truth to it. But at the end of the day, you know who owns my development? I do right? If I want to learn something, I can go pick up a book. I can go take a course. I mean, I don't even have to leave, which I don't anyways currently, but um, talk about people leading themselves. How is that important in, in, in growing this mindset? Well, again, it comes to the stories we tell ourselves. It's the fears that stop us. So the first thing, based on what you just said, and it's true, you can delegate what you should own. We have to own our success. We can mm -hmm. delegate it to somebody. So if someone's not giving us what we need and you, and you blame that person, you have just delegated your success to that person. That's wrong. You should do what you just said. You know, if you can't find it from that person, find it from somebody else and get to where you want to be. That's the bottom line. Absolutely. Ron, it was fantastic to have you on the show. Um, thank you so much for working through all the technical issues with me today. Uh, seemed like we couldn't win it there for a while, but we made it. Uh, really appreciate you, um, the Velocity Mindset, everyone. Check that out on Amazon. Um, all the different versions are available, right? Kindle, obviously. Yes, and the audio books being loaded as we speak, but they have Kindle and the hard copy right now. 
Awesome. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me today. Really appreciate you and good luck uh, with the rest of the book tour. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. Thanks everyone for watching and listening. Until next time. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review our show on your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to share this episode with your networks. We appreciate you. Until next time, let the best stories win. Hello. Hi. Are you still there? I have a special offer for you. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. My going live book is now available on Amazon.com. And if you're in the United States, I'm happy to send you a signed copy, which you can order at paypal.me forward slash C-T-R-A-P-P-E, C-T-R-A-P-P-E forward slash 12. Thanks for your interest. If you're not in the United States, I can't send you a signed copy, but of course you can order on amazon.com.